Hi, welcome back to This Should Be a Podcast. This is Jill Norton. And this is Jay Boninsinga. And we have been MIA, and we're very sorry about that. Uh, things have just been busy. Life has been crazy. Wouldn't you agree? How long has it been since we it was recorded an, it one was of in these? April, I think. No. It was the end of April. Yeah. We didn't do anything in May? No. We, we just we laid talked, a, we no. just sat around in May. You know we what we did is we talked about vegetated it. Vegetated on we, the couch. We talked about doing it. <laughs> well, that's do as it. good as doing let's it. Let's do it Tuesday. Okay. Hello. All right. Let's do it Thursday. Oh, you know what? All right. Tonight's well, that's something. Busy. We talked about it. I know. We were committed, but we just were procrastinating. Yeah. So anyway, but we're here. It's 4th of July weekend. Yeah. It feels really strange, doesn't it? It does. It feels like a hollow empty sort of fake you know just shell of a fourth of july weekend yeah <laughs> there's like not the, even there's like vo- go ahead i'm sorry i was gonna say there's like little fireworks everywhere but then yeah. like main fireworks have been canceled or they're like in mystery locations so that nobody can find them and right be at them. so which yeah. i'm not sure if that makes sense either they're, but. they're they're it's it's fascinating to me that i'm not going to mention any names or anything but we live in Metro Chicago, and there are blue areas and red areas of Metro Chicago, just like any giant city. I find it fascinating that in the red areas, they're having the fireworks. Like where? Uh, I, again, I, I don't want to you know put anybody down oh, or anything, but there are <laughs> let's, let's let's just say outward bound right. uh, areas that are red areas. They're having live fireworks. Well, that's not you know, surprising. It, yeah, I it it just seems odd that the whole thing deteriorated into like a political thing. Right. Just you know, viruses aren't political. Right. Viruses have no party. Right. <laughs> people think it's a, a hoax. Right. Right. <laughs> or it's like hundred thousand people. You know, not macho to wear a mask. Whoever thinks it's not macho to wear a mask doesn't understand why you wear a mask. Right. You know, you do it to protect others. Right. You're not you're not protecting yourself per se. Yeah. But anyway. Enough grousing, enough griping. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about some good stuff. You're working on a lot of cool things right now. Yeah. I, I in fact, uh, for this particular podcast, I'm gonna be reading an original story, which is the first time we've ever tried to do this. Uh, it's thematic. It it kind of dovetails into our theme which is superstition what's but wrong I, well because i want to like get to that I wanna, I, i'm like, just it's a preview it's, it's I, I know but we're only at three minutes and 40 i'm, I'm not going there yet it's, <laughs> it's called foreshadowing i'm a professional trust me <laughs> see i the, what i was gonna say before i was ridiculed <laughs> um, is that you know the story that I'm going to read is is a war story. It is part of our 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 theme today uh, of superstition, which seems apropos of the situation we're in globally right now with the pandemic and you know the end of the world you know on our horizon. You know, superstition kind of jives with that some in some strange kind of twisted way, but also. You know, I have always, I've never been to war, thank God, that I've been very lucky. I was, I was maybe a year after the draft. I, I beat the draft by a year. 
uh, I turned 18 one year after the draft was 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 uh, ended on for Vietnam. But I've always been fascinated by war. Now, as we record this, I'm working on two huge projects, both set in war with soldiers. So it's, I've been fascinated by it and obsessed by it for many years, and it seems like a metaphor for so many things. So the story I'm going to read is also a war story, but it has to do with superstition. Jill, your thoughts? Well, I, I want to jump in since we seem to keep coming back to it, but we just thought we would try something different because to, for both of us to come up with something, it's very, it, it's been part of why we it's taken so long because we just like he, you know, Jay needs to practice. I need to research, you know, we just, and we both are doing like two jobs at least. So being that Jay is a better, more fluid Did I jump speaker. The gun? Did I jump the gun? <laughs> Twice. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Is that bad luck? No, I'm just saying that, <laughs> You know, you're so good at storytelling, and I think you and I having conversation and discussing things is more interesting than me, like, rushing around trying to research something. So, Jay has so many books and so many stories and things that I think are really interesting, and so we thought maybe we would try this out, that Jay would read uh, a short story that he wrote for us, and he'll tell you more about it, but, and then after it, we'll talk for a little bit, and we'll go back and forth, and, and we may talk... I don't know. I guess we won't talk in between, but <laughs> we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. During the story, you well, just you can know. interrupt it if you want to. If there's something like seems you know, if you have any questions, just raise your hand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, that's the. <laughs> but point. I, but I, I didn't mean we need to do it right now. I just no, I know. Um, it's a, it was a foreshadowing. I know you're excited, is what it I is. I am. <laughs> you're right. And you've had this planned for weeks. But we were going to talk about superstition, weren't we? Yeah, but that's the stuff that like we're going to talk about. We're not going to do that till after the story? Right, because your story is about superstition. Well, I wanted to set the stage and ask you, like, are you superstitious? Oh. You, can, can I answer no, that for you? No. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you are. I, I totally don't think you are. I think I'm super superstitious. Extremely superstitious. And I don't think you are at all. I'm, I'm, you know, there's like little teeny things that I just think to myself sometimes, but overall, I mean, I've seen, I've known people who are way more superstitious and everybody has their own reasons for it. You know, I'm trying to think of mine right now, but some are just like instilled in you from when you are a kid that you don't even think about. Like I wouldn't walk under a ladder, you know, you wouldn't, (laughs) well, you know, I would probably just not even think about it and try to go around it. Yeah, I I think they're like supersti- much of superstition is instilled in us. It's inculcated in us as, as children. Yeah. I wonder. I'm just throwing this out there. If superstition is also based on our parents, like we observe them, and if they're superstitious, we're gonna be mondo superstitious right. because your parents don't impress me as being superstitious. Neither of your biological parents. No, my mom is a little bit. She used to hate bridges. She would hold her breath when she went over bridges. I think that's probably the only thing she did, but she always did. <laughs> that's more of a phobia, isn't it? Like uh-uh. heights? No, I don't know. I, I feel like it was more of a little superstition oh, thing. Like okay, a, okay, um, okay. Or just a coping mechanism, possibly. But... Well, your dad totally oh, not. Oh, no, my dad. Your, your dad's my dad the suffer. anti-superstitious. My dad suffers no fools. He thinks superstitious people are dolts. <laughs> <Right. laughs> 
<laughs> Dick has no time for superstition. He's a very smart man and a lawyer. Dick, if you're listening, we I just I respect you and I love you and I admire you. Okay. He's he's well aware of that. <laughs> okay. Well, um, you know, I think I'm ready to get started and let you do your things, and then we will talk about it afterwards. All right. Cool. Thank you. Sounds good? Sounds good. zero. I realize I'm dead meat sitting there in the high sun on that mossy crown of stone. Poor fucking excuse for cover, but you know, snipers gotta improvise. When I hear that telltale faint metallic thunk of a lever being jacked on an automatic a few hundred meters away. Right then I do those three things you do when you see the head-on collision coming and you don't have time to swerve and somewhere in the back of your synapses you realize you're roadkill. You bang your eyes shut, you hammer your teeth together hard enough to crack enamel and you pucker your asshole until you're like a coiled spring waiting for that silent flash. One second later... The 7.62mm cartridge splits your face open and flips off your lights, punching the pink mist out the back of your skull and sending you home in a flag-draped box so your mom and dad can involuntarily twitch at each blast of the 21-gun sayonara and then receive the folded stars and stripes to put on your mantle next to the photo of your grandkid clutching the ice skating trophy. But this time, this time it never happens. It simply does not happen. I flinch backward against the spiny ledge of rock behind me, blinking and gasping and looking around. I, 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 I can't believe nothing happened. I'm still in one piece. <laughs> I still have my beat-to-shit M40, which I dropped in the moon dust, my big honking manual scope, and my, my mountain rucksack. I've lost count, but I think the other sniper has fired like 10, maybe 11 rounds at me so far. But they're all near misses, but I'm not sure. It could be 12. Which means he stopped at 13. <laughs> God help me if he stopped at 13. I decide I need to find out more about this other sniper who's trying to waste me. I can't even tell you how long it takes me to get there. Maybe 15 minutes, maybe a month. I start going gimp with altitude sickness about halfway up, limping, breathing hard, vision blurring, skin tingling with nausea, thoughts crackling, ruminating, expecting the worst, bracing for an ambush. By this point, the asshole is probably crossing the Pakistani border but I don't give a shit. 
I have to see who this prick is, see his bivouac, see if he left anything behind, any clues, any spoor. I got the bloodhound nose going now. As I crest the top of the ledge, the wind buffets my body armor like a battering ram and I nearly do a pratfall on my own weapon. The enemy sniper is long gone, but I can see his camp. At the end of the precipice, there's a crater behind a cairn of stones. Prints are stamped in the rock dust beneath it, boot impressions, drag marks, maybe even the traces of a tiny trough formed by his knee when he was setting up a shot. I pause and study the area. It's a good hide. Excellent concealment and cover. Good observation. Superb fields of fire. And a perfect back door through which the shooter invisibly displaces to another hide after engagement. There's a few remnants of his time spent drawing a bead on me. I stand there in the wind for a moment, imagining him chewing his dried naan, popping his Turkish gum, peering through his Russian-issue scope at my progress up the east slope, waiting patiently for the cold barrel zero, the first clear catastrophic brain shot, the point of impact at which cops and anti-terrorist experts zero their weapons, the money shot. I imagine my assailant squaring me up in his crosshairs. I imagine him calculating the bullet drop, judging the ballistic coefficient, the minute of angle, the windage, the recoil. I notice a few candy wrappers on the ground amidst grains of cold rice like dead maggots in the dust. Even a clutter of brown cigarillo butts. British. Shermans, they look like. Probably stolen. Stronger than a hookah. This tells me a lot. Smoking is a haram to Muslims, forbidden by Allah, a sin, a form of self-harm. But this dude, this dude does not give two shits. He is, I'm beginning to gather, a craftsman like me. He will be the man to kill me if I do not kill him forthwith. This realization begins to turn my guts worming its way up my esophagus like molten lava when I see the magazine. I crouch down, lay down my 40, take a closer look. It's old, dented, constructed of ridged metal the color of fish belly, curved like a banana. I recognize the make and model, a high-capacity clip designed for a tabuk, a Yugoslavian-made sniper rifle, an antique piece of shit long gone the way of 8-track tapes and phone booths. The Mujahideen used these to brandish rigs while kicking the asses of the Soviet infidels. Why would this dude discard it? Why leave it for forensic examination? I pick it up and look inside, noticing bullets still tucked in the enclosure like tiny copper-colored sardines. These boxes hold 20 rounds of hardballs. Fully jacketed cartridges milled at 7.62 millimeter, and it looks as though there are at least a half a dozen left uncharged. The mystery deepens. I thumb the bullets out of the magazine, each round making a little metallic thunk that reverberates behind my eyes like the pounding of a migraine. 
the bullets dropping one at a time to the ground, each impact a faint, dull, hollow thump. Thump, 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 thump. I count eight cartridges unfired, eight rounds left behind. My heart starts up, my mouth going dry with terror. Eight leftovers means twelve were fired. The man stopped at bullet number thirteen. He did not fire number 13. I close my eyes. I know now how this will play out. The granddaddy of them all is to never light more than two cigarettes on a single match. I've heard this one dates back to before the First World War. Apparently, the superstition comes from the belief that, that the enemy will see the light when the first soldier sparks that first smoke. And when the second soldier lights a cigarette from the same match, the enemy will take aim. And when the third soldier leans in, zing, the enemy fires. This is how soldiers think, by the way. We know it's all just a load of crap, just a juiced up form of OCD, but the thing is, we also know this shit is true. We know that you never ever ever want to open canned apricots in a war zone. We know you should never say, hell, at least it ain't raining, because it will sure as shit start to rain. We know you should never eat pudding. <laughs> <laughs> a heckler. <laughs> we know you should never eat pudding on a Friday or face east when you're taking a piss. Or open the first MRE you pull from your pack. Or eat the red Skittles. Or the green boilies. Or the brown crackers. We know these rules are rules to live by. Or you will be in a world of shit and probably get sent home in that same proverbial box I mentioned earlier. Some of us, though, live deeper in the pathology. I was always a superstitious kid, throwing salt over my shoulder, knocking wood, never putting my hat on my bed, and delivering papers a very specific way on my cherry red stingray, counting the houses, avoiding the unlucky street numbers. Usually those were numbers that had multiples of 5, 7, or 11. Don't ask. It was serious business, though. I would toss the rolled-up Slidell Post-Democrat onto the parkway of a bad one, that untrimmed strip of crabgrass between the sidewalk and the curb, which was neutral territory in terms of karma. But if it landed on a crack in the sidewalk or a seam in a driveway, I would circle back and move it onto the grass while repeating, rabbits, rabbits, rabbits. Like I said, don't ask. Anyway, once I made it to the 3rd Striker Brigade, Combat Team, 2nd Infantry Division, and I was in the shit with Sniper Unit, well, I got worse. I started doing crazy, obsessive-compulsive shit like never getting out of my bunk in the morning when the digital clock was on an even number. It had to add up to an odd number, and all of this lunacy was at the risk of getting PT'd by my unit skipper for being late. Or I would make sure the dial on my bitch box was always set in an odd number. Or I would avoid going outside the wire on Tuesdays and Fridays. Again, don't ask. It goes on and on. But the most important thing about all this, 
the thing that hits me between the eyes like a ball-peen hammer as I inspect this prick's box magazine is that this motherfucker is as superstitious as I. And if he's as superstitious as I... I shove the still warm magazine into my ruck and look over my shoulder, squinting into the wind, gazing out at the north range and the low scud of clouds and the khaki green world of the lower elevations. I know which direction this cocksucker is heading. Everybody knows it's bad luck to move in a southerly direction when you're fleeing someone or something. I also know he'll proceed due north down country in a straight direction for exactly seven miles. Again, everybody knows this is the proper manner in which to evade an ambush. At the seventh mile marker, always the seventh, make a wide 180 before finding a decent hide with a good back door, an adequate field of fire. That is what he is going to do. Trust me. This cat-and-mouse game goes on for three days without a clean shot, without seeing much of anything but the back of the dude's head shrouded in that black muslin hoodie. At odd-numbered mile markers, he tries to circle back, and I circle back with him. At odd-numbered hours of the day, he pauses and turns and spits three times, which I recognize as a way of warding off bad luck, and I do it too. I stay precisely 1,100 meters behind him. A thousand would be bad luck. I believe he knows this as well as I do. I think he senses that the stalker is now being stalked. He pauses every day at sunset to face Mecca and, I, and, and enchants his prayers. Is this superstition? I'm losing my grip on what's real. There are a few times when we fire on each other, times when one of us thinks, well, you know, he has a clear line of fire, a good hide on the other one, but the shots go wide. They ping off a roof of some abandoned hut or rip through the fronds of a swaying cypress. For good luck, each of us answers the other's shot with a single shot. The idea of a single shot is the sniper's creed. One shot, one kill. And it is also good luck, because one's an odd number. On the third day, I run out of MREs, and I'm getting so dehydrated, I'm seeing things. Dust devils plume along the horizon. Matrons passing in black burkas hunch and waddle like demonic crones carrying laundry on their heads. Pinwheels of light spangle off the brutal sun as I make my way across an arid moraine strewn with rubble and the skeletal remains of a mortar-blasted fob. As I enter... A deserted village of tin-roofed shacks and boarded storefronts I'm about ready to drop, when all at once I see the silent sparkle of a muzzle flash a half-click away on a rooftop, and I dive for cover. The ensuing blast chews a light stanchion above me and rains shards of glass down on me as I crawl behind a dusted storage tank. My vision blurring, my lower back shrieking with pain, my finger frozen on the trigger, I eat a mouthful of sand as I belly squirm toward the far side of that tank. The dust burns in my eyes. I reach the edge of the tank and rise to a kneel, frantically wiping my eyes. The silence crashes down. I need to see better. 
better than 2020 if I'm going to blow this dude away. I fumble for my scope, blinking away the crud in my eyes. My strength is gone, but I marshal the inner calm to take the shot. I peer through the scope and find the target. I suck air as I see a small deadly figure clearly now in the 14 mil spyglass, about 70 meters away, crouched in the gutter of a tin roof, centered in the crosshairs. I can almost feel my dominant eye dilating behind the eyepiece, my left eye compensating now by misaligning itself, information overload causing my iris to spiral open as I get the second big shock of the week, or the year, or maybe my whole fucking life, as I see that the dude in the black pajamas is not a dude at all, but is a chick, a young woman. Again, it's hard to get all the details at this distance, even in the mag of the scope, but she looks to be in her 20s, olive-skinned, deep-set, dark eyes, long mane of raven black hair, not much older than my daughter, Ellie, all of which completely takes me by surprise, pinches my gut, makes me well up right there in the hide, right in the middle of the fucking engagement sequence, right in the midst of squeezing the trigger, I'm tearing up like an old woman, like a child, and this brings on a deeper current of rage in its wake. The moment of hesitation causes an equal and opposite reaction through the tiny cameo of that eyepiece. The girl engages me. In that single instant, a lock time of between 0.0022 and 0.0057 seconds, the flare of silver magnesium up on that roof is followed by an out-of-sync thump. And I'm already rolling. It is all I can do. Roll and clamor across the gap of dusty lot between the edge of the tank and the side of the derelict store, or, or whatever the hell it is. Clutching my gun for dear life, I bang into the corrugated metal wall and an awning falls on me as I cover my head. The zipper dimples the surface of the rusty awning and makes a dissonant clang that threatens to crack my skull open. Three more rounds strafe the awning, ringing like Sunday come-to-meeting chimes, and I almost black out when the silence brings me back around. Lying on my belly, my M40 wedged underneath me, my helmet over my eyes, I gather my bearings in that ethereal alien silence. A sticky, opaque, calm that trumps the wind and speaks of tableaus and epochs coming to an end. I swallow hard and lie there in the shadow of that fallen awning, my ears ringing, my pulse speeding. And then I do the math. The girl is working with her second magazine of 20 rounds, and I count in my head each and every shot fired over the last three days. The one on the edge of the peach orchard. The one that caught the corner of the fence post. The one over the silo. The one in the village. The one down in the dry riverbed. A few others. Adding up to a total of eight shots over 72 hours. Plus the four she just fired off. She is on her 13th round. My heart thunders in my chest as I count my own shots. 
I have burned through two boxes of five rounds each, and I'm on my third, my throat going dry as I realize I have fired 12 rounds in three days. We are both on number 13. Both of us. Bullet number 13. I remain on the ground, blinking and sucking breaths as it sinks in. I can't move, nor can my nemesis. Of this I am certain, neither one of us can move. The hours pass. I'm drenched in sweat, but I stay here, hidden like a rat, like vermin, like a bug under this awning, and I will stay here indefinitely. And I presume the counter-sniper will stay on that roof indefinitely. I see my fate now. I see my destiny. Time will continue to pass, and I will spend eternity under this awning, and the counter-sniper will spend eternity on that roof, and days and nights will turn, and the seasons will pass, and the ages will take us down. Time will sink us into the ground, into the sand, as rivers cleave mountains, and glaciers cut the planet into shards, and the countless suns wink out in the heavens, and the darkness and the eons and the void will turn us to dust. Or maybe not. Maybe one of us will get lucky. Maybe. Do you want to discuss or do you want to Yeah, continue? let's discuss. Okay, so I had a couple questions. Well, first of all, why don't you say like when you wrote that and what it was for? Well, it's it's never been published, but it is coming out in a book published by Burns and Lee Publishing in 2021. It's going to be a collection. So it's in there. It's in that collection. I have lived this life. Like I imbued the, these warriors in, in this horrible you know asymmetrical war in Afghanistan I imbued them with my own superstition and I don't I, I think it pro probably partially comes from you know my feeling that wars is, is is meaningless at the end it's a nihilistic sad black hole of souls that just sucks people into them and, and it doesn't solve anything and what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. And it seemed like a perfect setting for superstition. And also, the more I researched it over the years, the more I found that soldiers were extremely superstitious. You know, and I... Did I, not know that. Oh, my God. The whole thing about not lighting three cigarettes. Right, right. And stuff like that. It goes back, you know, generations. And... You know, soldiers are superstitious because they're scared. They're scared. I think superstition is, is, a, is a byproduct of, you know, anxiety. Right. And being out of control. Well, what you know? I thought was funny was, like, 
you know, the little portions that kept going, don't ask, don't ask. And meanwhile, I had so many questions. <laughs> I was like, canned, what, apricots? In the yeah. Room? So, like, so then... Some of these are obscure, and I don't know where they come from, but it's real. But they're real. They're real. Yeah, absolutely. Alan Baker's told me about a few of them. Oh. You know, Shout out that's, to a, Baker. that's a friend of ours who's a saint of a man who's been, you know, on like four tours in Afghanistan and builds schools and bridges for people and, you know. He's my advisor on many projects that I've done. But yeah, you know, my dad had OCD. Right. I think he passed that along to, to me. I don't know about my brothers as much, but my, it was a, it, for me, it was a perfect storm because I had a father who had OCD and a mother who whose family were hillbillies from Arkansas, and they all had these strange old, you know, that's where I first heard about throwing sh uh, salt over your shoulder and... Oh, I thought that came from Mickey Rourke and No, no, God, no. That's an ancient... It, I, no, 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 no. I know, oh, okay. I know it has been around. I'm just saying for you. Where I picked it up? That's where you picked no, it up. No, 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 no. I did pick up one superstition from a movie. Which was? Drugstore Cowboy. Yeah. Directed by Gus Van Zandt. Matt Dillon is the main yeah, character. No, 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 I know it. What did yeah. you get from? What's they they say don't you know one of the characters w did the ultimate you know uh, uh, just unacceptable thing. She put a hat on a bed. Oh right, you've gotten mad. At and me she died. She died in the film shortly after that. <laughs> yeah, know? that's probably one of the first ones I noticed of you because anytime I take one of your hats and just throw it on the bed in a hotel room or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did that I did that once in front of Peter Miller. I, I said, don't put that on the bed. And Peter Miller said, it's not beds, it's chairs. You don't put a hat on a chair. And I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah, my mom always told me that. So See, they're, just... they're passed down. Right. They're passed down. Well, actually, yeah. I did a little research about that, which to, about like superstitions. And I found this in a Discover magazine back from 2013. But... I'll just read the beginning because it's sure. really interesting. Believe that rustling grass always means a predator is approaching. For example, means you'll hoof it whenever you hear the sound, whether it's caused by wind or a hungry lion. You live to share your superstition with your children. They'll tell their children and so on. Protecting your progeny from grass rustling lions. Foster yeah, believes that, that among sense. early humans, natural selection favored the superstitious. Superstition can be a plus, sort of. German researchers reported in 2010 that the more strongly participants believed in their good luck charms, the more confident they were. The study also showed that the more confident superstitious participants were, the better they performed, perhaps due to self-efficacy. Wow. The belief in one's ability to succeed at a specific challenge, which has been linked to how willing people are to persist at a given task. Wow. So then there was a thing on 13, which so since that's a, you know, prevalent topic in your story. And so do you have anything you want to say about that specific one that you picked for like that? Because that's such a big well, thing with. The, yeah, like the... I mean, I'll just I want to hear what you have to say about it. But, but I'll just say very briefly, I have some kind of, it's a condition. It's a pathology. Right. It's not, uh, you know, um, all beneficial and, you know, keeps right. me safe. Like, for instance, I have this thing about odd numbers. Even numbers seem like bad luck to me. I, I don't know why that is. I can't explain it. It has no basis in any kind of experience or logic. It is a form of OCD, I think. But it's with me, it's more of a superstition because it, it, it doesn't you know control me or 
affect any part of my life, but I, when I, even when I work out, I don't do even numbered reps. Everybody goes, do 10 reps. I can't, I can't do that. I have to do, do, nine, do, nine, I have to do nine or 11. Which one do you do? I do both. I do nine and eleven. I do thirteen. What I'm saying is, like, where do you stop? Like, yeah, well, thir- eleven reps. Thirteen, thirteen is is a lucky number for me. It's an odd number and it's a lucky number, except for the number two thirteen. I'll say very briefly, and then I'll pass it back to you. But two thirteen, for some reason, started to be scary to me. I would, I would be driving, and I would end up at a stoplight behind a bus, and it would be bus number 213, and I would freak out. Then finally, and this was years ago, then finally, Jeffrey Dahmer was apprehended. And they went into his apartment, and there were like human heads in his freezer and stuff. <laughs> of course, I probably don't have to tell you what number his apartment was in Milwaukee. 213? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> this thing was kind of cool that I read or interesting um, on Friday the 13th. Charms or rituals may boost confidence, but an unlucky number can nix it. In 1993, researchers near London reported that over a three-year period, highway traffic was lighter on Friday the 13th than on Friday the 6th. Yet inexplicably, on the 13th, road accidents sent 52% more people to hospitals. Wow. So less people, more activity. But, you know, people were probably more sort of coiled and and tense. So they they overcompensated if they got in an accident or they overreacted. And then here's like 13 superstitions that we can discuss. So one, a black cat crossing your path is a bad omen. Yeah. This superstition... I have that one. This super... What? Yeah. I do. I do. If I'm driving along, I sometimes see a black cat crossing the road in front of me and I'm like, should I turn? Should I turn? Should I turn back? I should I take another route? You know, because we had a black cat. <laughs> I know. <laughs> in fact, and, I'm, and he I'm probably crossed my path many times yeah. at Ainsley. <laughs> and you seem to be doing fine. Right. All right. Um, The superstition dates back to the Middle Ages in Europe, where a black cat was thought to be a witch's companion or perhaps a witch herself. If one crossed your path, it meant that the devil was watching you. In ancient Egypt, however, all cats were considered sacred. And nowadays, black cats are viewed as good luck in Japan, Scotland, and many other countries around the world. That's where I think. Well, they're good. I'm a black cat You're a black cat. Yeah. Yeah. Aficionado. Yeah. Why don't you tell them why? Why don't you tell the listeners why? I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I mean, I've had black cats forever. I had, Je- you know, Jerry and Jezebel, right. then we had Scooby, and then I had Spook, and then we had... And then, those, those were all black cats? Yeah. Wow. Or Bla- black tuxedo, you know, but most of them... Right, were, right. All the way up to Diego, and Diego... Was Diego... Was, they were brother and sister, right? Is that a male thing where the 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 female is a calico and the only cal- calicos can only be only be female, female. right? Anyway, all right, all right moving on. Um, <laughs> we talked about this before, but stepping under a ladder brings bad luck. Ancient Egyptians used triangles to symbolize the god Isis, Osiris, and Horus. 
a, a ladder leaning against a wall creates a triangle shape, so to walk under it was viewed as an affront to the gods and an invitation for misfortune. Oh my god, I'm never going to, I never walk under one, but <laughs> even like a staircase or something in a hotel, have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Maybe you've noticed that I don't walk under a staircase in a hotel? Because oh, there's no, a lot I've of times there's an escalator there's so lobby. many of these that I don't know about you when we've been together. For well, there's an escalator in the lobby of a lot of hotels. Right. And you can walk under it. You know, you're, you're, you have to in some hotels to get to the front desk or right. something. I find another way around to get to that. You haven't even noticed that. No. Because, I, because I'm a little embarrassed by it. And so I, you know, <laughs> I try to do it in a <laughs> subtle <laughs> Well, babe, I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll meet you at the front desk. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, here's holding your breath past cemeteries. Many cultures throughout history connected breathing with one soul. In fact, the word spirit comes from the Latin word spiritus, meaning breath. To hold your breath while passing a graveyard was thought to protect your soul from escaping, as well as prevent other spirits to enter and possess you. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, that's I don't cool. I don't do that. I, I, I find cemeteries uh, oh, peaceful. I love cemeteries. I do, I do too. I love cemeteries. Yeah. I don't I don't think you know I don't think just because a person dies they they become scary, you know what I mean? I I, right. I I think it's I think cemeteries are beautiful. I think they're one of the most beautiful. Oh, I love yeah. Yeah, I love them. Maybe maybe they're not ecologically sound. Maybe maybe they're you know they but, use I mean, up the land. Is, you know. But the, but what's cool are the old ones, the ones that have oh, been around forever. Oh, they're so, so beautiful. Yeah. Like, like Lafayette Cemetery in, in New Orleans. Yeah. Well, like in Chicago. I mean, there's... Or that cemetery that cemetery we went to in, in Key West. The Remember Key West, that one? The Key West Cemetery, yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And, and you, don't, you don't feel any weirdness in, that, in those places. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're, they're beautiful places, at least for me. They make me, they calm, they make me feel calm and... Yeah. Cemeteries are not bad luck. Right. <laughs> not at all. Um, here's one that you do. Knocking on wood for good luck. Right. Knocking on wood began with the pagans in ancient Europe who believed that spirits lived in trees. Knocking on wood called upon them to protect you from misfortune. Makes okay. sense to me. I like that one. I like that one too. <laughs> I still do. In fact, I'm going to do it right now. Um, we talked about the tossing the salt over your left shoulder. <laughs> This dates back to 3500 BC when the Sumerians considered it bad luck and wasteful to spill such a prized commodity. Mm -hmm. To throw a pinch over the left shoulder was an attempt to reverse that luck and yeah. convey to others that it was an accident. Yep, I, I've heard that before and that makes sense to me. I love salt. I know. But now that we have our new couch that I love, thank you, Joybird. <laughs> You are not allowed to throw salt on the couch because I would just watch him throw salt over shoulder on the couch. Like, okay, I'll clean that up later. It's, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny because like there's this kind of salt that I can only find at Whole Foods. It's called Maldon, Maldon, you know, French, and it's flakes. Right. It's it's amazing stuff. It's 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 just delicious. It's mild and it, it's just like it's the best salt. But I can only find it at Whole Foods, so I keep saying, am I going to go over there just for salt? You know, I've honestly that's, been thinking we that's, should... That's a little much. I've honestly been thinking that maybe we should instill part of the the podcast as your, a grocery story. 
Like your best grocery story from the week. Right. I mean, because Jay is That's a spinoff. He has so many stories. Everybody knows him. Something always happens. It's so It's funny. a spinoff podcast. All right, so that was a little... Uh, little shout thought, out. little shout out. Yeah, maybe yeah. we'll do that. Um, here's one that I did as a kid with Jeff. Every time my dad... <laughs> I mean, it's kind of sad when I think about it, but it's like every time... I don't know if it was like before they divorced or whatever, but my dad would get the roasted chicken from the Kroger's or right. whatever and bring it home and it was heaven to us we were right. just like oh my god like rotisserie yeah. chicken yeah like yeah. they come down like, yeah. delicious so um yeah that was pretty extravagant for us and Jeff and I would always do the wishbone the wishbone thing at yeah. The end. yeah whoever gets the bigger half gets a wish but that wasn't always the case the concept of a wishbone originated thousands of years ago with the Etruscans who make wishes upon them once the Romans conquered the Etruscans, I don't know if I'm saying that right, the tradition was he- upheld, but it was believed that people started breaking the bones so that people would have a chance at good fortune. Fun fact, phrases like lucky break and give me a break stems from this tradition. Oh my God, that's interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, you know, my mom my mom did that all the time with us when we were kids. But I, But now that you're... You're talking about it, and you're you're researching it, and you're bringing these fun facts into it. I wonder if the whole i the whole reason for superstitions, you know, mostly anxiety of not you know being able to control the craziness of life. I always thought that's what it was, but I wonder if superstitions are about human beings and human nature striving to believe that there's something more than just the physical universe there's something more out there right well, it's, a it's, sense what, of it's why we want to believe in ghosts and we want to believe right. in the supernatural and the mysteries and you yeah. know you know what i mean yeah so uh well the last one we'll close up with for the superstitions is the dreaded number 13 this has its roots in Norse mythology, where 12 gods, wow. 12 gods were invited to dine in Valhalla and Loki. The trickster god crashed the party, raising the number to 13. While the others were trying to kick him out, the god Baldur was killed. In Christianity, Judas was the 13th guest at the Last Supper, which took place on a Friday, hence unease around Friday the 13th. Fun fact, the fear of the number 13 is called Triskeida... Cophobia. Try saying that three times so fast. It says, <laughs> I can't even say it one time. You did Slowly. a good job. You did a good job. You try to say it. All right. Let me see. show it to me. Wow. Tristadecophobia. Nope. Triscadecophobia. Triscadecophobia. <laughs> All right. That, I think that. <laughs> I rest my case, Your Honor. Um, one thing I also forgot that we talked about doing that I thought was fun is saying what we were drinking that I think we should do in the beginning. Yes, what yes, yeah. I forgot today? to say what, what we were drinking. Yeah. What are you drinking okay, tonight, Okay, I, I, I had two drinks over the course of the uh, close to an hour. That, that he are... always has two drinks. <laughs> <laughs> um, because it's good luck. <laughs> it's an no. even number, dude. <laughs> no, no, it's an odd number because I have, always have a glass of water, too. Oh, so I, right. So I have three drinks, really, which is kind of pathetic. And I'm kind of embarrassed that I have three drinks. One is water. <laughs> but uh, one of them was my favorite beer, which everybody else I know, every person in my family, 
hates and I love. It's called Dragon Milk. It's a stout and everything, but it's like really boozy. And then the other drink that I had was a uh, mock uh, old-fashioned that I make with bitters and bourbon and, and Diet Coke. Because I'm 61 years old <laughs> and I gain weight like a drunken sailor. <laughs> All right, now what what are, what are you drinking? What, I am drink? having a classic Jay Bonansinga homemade <laughs> whiskey sour. Jay has mastered the art of the whiskey sour for me, which is like my. It was like my spring break. Is that, drink. Is that <laughs> now? Is it's it, kind of matured. In, into in, like in all honesty, sour. is that is that your favorite kind? Like. Is no, that, but I love it. I love your... What's your favorite... Where's your favorite whiskey sour? Oh, no, uh, no, no, sir? no, no. This is my favorite. I mean, they all are like this. There's not a place that has the best whiskey sour? So they're just different. I mean, yeah. And it also depends on the bartender. You know, like right, how much they right, do of each thing. Right, right, right. Well, well, we use egg whites in ours. So it makes it really kind of frothy and good. We do. Then, lastly, we talk about what we're happy about. What are we grateful for? I will say this, uh, as we uh, approach the end of our podcast, I've never, ever been associated with anyone, married to anyone, in love with anyone that is luckier than you. You are my lucky charm. (laughs) I totally thought you just meant that I'm the lucky one. (laughs) Luckier than you, you are. I can see why you would think that, but but what I meant was you're you're lucky, you're lucky. That you I have brought it? me so much luck. I mean, I am lucky. You are. I mean, I, like you brought luck to me. You're. I'm lucky. You that know, you... I don't want to take credit for any good luck because sometimes we get bad luck. But I'm ever not... ever since I've known you, like I started work. Like when I when I first hooked up with you, I started working for The Walking Dead. Right. And it became, you know, like a dream job. And, you know, I traveled the world. And, you and know, I traveled I, with I, you. I, I, be, you know, I, went, I, I went to a different level as a writer, you know, working for The Walking Dead. And I'll always be proud of it. And I always defend The Walking Dead as one of the great shows and comic books and book series in the world, you know. Okay. And that was, you, I, you were there. You were the charm you were the talisman you were the luck for me well back at yeah <laughs> <laughs> but one thing i wanted to say just because it was like the most interesting thing that i you saw should have this the last week. word <laughs> this is the last word <laughs> okay and now we've come to the portion of our podcast we call oh my god the last word <laughs> <laughs> yes. you can keep track at home <laughs> Um, okay, the movie um, Into the Wild, yeah, the McCandless, yeah, uh, yeah. The they had there was a video I saw that they had to extract the bus with a helicopter because too many people were dying trying to get to it. That bus that actually right, existed. Right. So there's this video that's so trippy of it, literally a helicopter and it's like, like a bus is floating in the. It's so. Trippy, and I thought it was also interesting that all these people had died to get to it. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I guess that was it. I don't know. If that, that no, that kind of strangely jibes with what we've been talking about. Yeah. In a, in a way that's sort of inexplicable, but I just found it apropos. Yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, 
I also wanted to talk about, you know, we talked about, I think was our first podcast <laughs> way back. Would you stop making me seem like I'm not <laughs> romantic? <laughs> um, but that we had done a, a virtual Passover, right? Like, oh, yeah. It was right yeah, before. Right. And, and then it was like kind of the beginning of virtual. Well, mm-hmm. we just had uh, Northwestern's Northwestern commencement, commencement 2020 yeah. uh, virtual. And it was, yeah. uh, you know, I was on the committee. It was and powerful. It was a ton of work. And we all had no idea what this was going to look like. And some of it was live and Lori some of Lightfoot. it was pre-recorded. Lori Lightfoot was the mayor. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. Um, yeah. but, and it really came up beautifully. It was really for, you know, for what it was, we tried to make it special for the students because of just the situation. And For those anyway, of you who are listening up, who don't know who Lori Lightfoot is, she's, she's uh, you know... Uh, the current mayor of Chicago. She's the first uh, black female lesbian mayor uh, of Chicago, the third largest city in the country, and we love her, and we're so proud to have her as our mayor, and she's such a powerful presence and (laughs) articulate, you know, she's just... This podcast brought to you by the Lori Lightfoot campaign. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so So then... My last thing, and this is kind of my happy, grateful thing, is that I just uh, celebrated my one year ago, got home from the hospital. Right. And, from and being this is on a... life support for two weeks. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so it's been very much in the back of my mind in every single thing that I do and trying to be careful right now. Um, but like I always wanted to, when I left that hospital, I remember like taking that one last look at it but I remember thinking like I don't want to lose this feeling because I was just like crying constantly with appreciation and gratitude and and you know as I got home and started to get better you start to think you know God I went through this emotional experience but like I don't want to lose that and right. it just be a memory and I want to hang on to that so I seems feel like, like it's it's luck too it has to do with the universe giving you good luck that you got out of that Right. I mean, there was, yeah, there was definitely a silver lining to it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah. How uh, has that changed you, do you think? Well. Has it changed you? It has changed me in the fact that I, my uh, perspective of things and how important something is and how unimportant something is and things worth getting worried about or it just made me appreciate everything. You know, it makes me appreciate you know, every day I go on our front yard and look at our cool plants on the front yard and right. just, I'm, I'm looking at every single plant and I'm just remembering sitting there a year ago, just not being able to move barely and just sit in a chair and you would bring me food. So anyway, I am very um, happy uh, and feeling and celebrating. So yeah. Uh, so you already said you're a good thing, I guess, right? Me. You? <laughs> you know, you can't say it's me every time. <laughs> That's actually a repeat. Um, but we'll let it slide this time. Um, so, yeah. So, I think that's about it. And uh, I promise we'll do this. I think because of this new format, hopefully you'll dig it. But we'll hopefully be doing more of these kinds. And then it'll make us do them faster. So, we don't want to leave you hanging again. <laughs> right. So, with that... Uh, we'll see you next time. All right. Love you. Thanks for listening. Love you. Love you. Bye. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 
The music for This Should Be a Podcast is Close Shave by The Riptones. Check it out. Like everything good, it's on Spotify.